Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. But that's what you mean by anchoring, is like, to the right, on the right side of the stage, I do like this type of material or this type of act out, and then the middle I do this, and then the left I do something else. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So if I have, I, I have the the part in front of the the uh, mic that I throw my heaters are my like material that I know works. Mm -hmm. Then if I want to try newer stuff, I'll I'll kind of maybe move to a different section, like to the stool and do a lean thing. And then I, that's where I try my newer stuff. And if that doesn't go well, I'll physically take myself out of that spot and go back into the heater spot. Hot breath. All right. It's time, everybody. Welcome back to the Hot Breath Comedy Network. This is Hot Breath Live, comedians on Skype, talking comedy. And today's guest is hands down one of my favorite comedians out there today, and he's soon to be yours. But if you're in for the live Q&A, he is one of your favorites. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just know we do all these live Q&As in our Facebook group. So if you'd like to join them in the future, click the link in the description <coughs> to join our Facebook group and get that intimate access to the great comedy minds like today's guest. So without further ado... Welcome to the show, the one and only John Heffron, ladies and gentlemen. We got him. Yeah. Nice. What else was I going to do? Seriously, so nice job, right? <laughs> That's what I've been doing. I've just been getting comics while they're quarantined. I'm like, hey, right? It's kind of an interesting time. So, like, like I started a uh, podcast, too, which I was kind of against, but I did. And then I reached out to comics or people. Mm -hmm. You know, guess I'm like, there's no way they're going to do my thing. And boy, a lot of people have a lot of times on their hands. So, <laughs> so it's a good, it's a good content thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, so perfect. I'm glad to be here. Great. Well, the, what, what had me reach back out to you, cause I've seen you perform in Atlanta several times and I've always been a fan of your writing specifically. And now that you've just written your second book, actually, uh, the holding deal. There it is. What? Go what? go get this book, it. it's, everyone. It's, oh, that's a real like book. A thing. Oh, it's dude. not like yeah, this isn't <laughs> this isn't like a pamphlet or, or a thing. It's, it's got a thing with a thing when you put it on your bookshelf and you're doing Skype calls. You know how everyone has books. Right, you know? right, right, right. I mean, you have a, you, uh, but yeah, it's got words and there's there's page numbers and then there's little squiggly lines when it's in between thoughts in case you get confused. It's it's the real deal. It's the holding deal and on I, Amazon. And I'm intrigued because you call it like a spy noir, but it's basically based on a comic who gets, it seems like, screwed over? Is this coming from a personal place here, John? Well, the, the premise of the book is that there's fake reality shows on TV mm -hmm. that have fake winners. Ever watch a reality show? And mm -hmm. you're like, how'd that person win? Well, the book is that all these people put out fake reality shows to get all these fake winners, and then they throw those winners into like the spy community 
because they have an alibi to travel every week and each one gets assigned a different thing. So in my book, uh, I, uh, it's a comic who wins a fake reality show and he gets asked to be a courier and every, every city he goes to, he has to just deliver a package. That's it. He doesn't know what's in it. It's all he's got to do is do a show, hand an envelope to somebody after by the merch table and he gets a few extra bucks and then the thriller ensues. But you actually won a reality show. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's <laughs> not a biopic. I mean, it could be completely I mean, fictional. We don't know. I yeah, don't know, yeah. Because yeah. you won but Last yeah, Comic was, Standing and then yeah, got a yeah, talent deal. and Yeah, that it was called a, a holding deal at the time. And that oh, was okay. kind of the idea how I got it is everybody at the time. I mean, this was, you know, 100 years ago when I was on that show. Everyone was like, it's fake, it was rigged, so you can get a T. And literally... I won last comic standing and the money I got for winning, I believe when I saw it at the end of the day was $4,700 maybe um, or something like that. Uh-huh. You know, I could be off by just a, a few things, but, but it wasn't, you know, uh, my season didn't have money. You didn't win money. You didn't win. So what you got was this, this holding deal. So after you won it, uh, NBC said, let's do a TV show or we're going to hold you in case we want to think about maybe kind of having an idea that we use you. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that that total for that show was fifty thousand dollars. Right. Okay. Which it's I know right now that that's so it's literally a dollar. So it's fifty thousand dollars. And everybody on the show got union scale for being on the show. If you're with Astra or SAG and you're on a reality show, uh, I believe it's $4.20 some cents, right? So everybody on the show, every time you saw them on TV, got $4.20 some cents. Again, I'm messing up the numbers a little bit here. So at the end, if you were from audition show one to end of show, you made $31,000. Over course of a year, right? So NBC took that my thirty-one, right, yeah. and subtracted it from the fifty, right? Because they subtracted they they subtracted <laughs> thirty-one from fifty, right? And then you run it through taxes and all that. But listen, I'm not complaining. No, but no, no. For some no. reason, people on people on that show thought that I made like millions and all this thing. They're like, it's it's rigged. I'm like, rigged, so somebody could get forty-seven hundred bucks. Couldn't you like that? Just seems like a lot of work to to rig to give somebody forty seven hundred. You know, so that's kind of like even way back then when you got some. Um, I kind of had the idea for this book, and I'm just a slow writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I actually didn't even know how to write a spy novel. Like I didn't even know that was a thing. So it was a year or two of me taking, you know, uh, like masterclass, like finding all these online courses of how to actually structure a novel. And I would just sit in my hotel room and just go through the homework assignment. If, you know, they're like character development, I'd sit there and I'd go through the modules and it it took me, it took me a while. And then the the quarantine is the thing that got my hustle on where I I was uh, just bought this old farmhouse. that was built like 1840 and ju- you know, all your work kind of just disappeared because everyone's like, "Yeah, nobody's doing a thing." And I'm just sitting there going, "Man, I got that book on my hard drive. I need to sp- hit the spell checker and, and release that thing." So that's how that book came to be, and I'm getting great response. You know, so 
Yeah, cool. and you, and this is like a comedy education show. So maybe like, what did you learn in the writing structure and character development within writing a spy novel that could translate into comedy writing? I, I had to take a lot of self negative talk kind of off my brain. Like, like every time I'd sit down, I would go, I don't, I don't know how to write a spy book. I'm not, I can't, if, you know, if you're dating me, you'll see my texts are horrible. I don't know sentence structure. You know, I've done stand up for 33 years. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I've never made a, I've never done a set list. I never understood. Like I look at people with their notebooks in their, in their set list. And, and I go, man, I, I, I wish I had a set list. This is, this is what all the cool people are doing. I've never had a set list. I've never, um, I do most of my writing on stage. Oh, um, interesting. So, but I, I mean, not to swing back around, I kind of have a thing, a reason why I don't have a set list. Um, but so when I would sit down to try to write the novel, I would just get in my head going, I don't know what I'm doing. This is too hard. I should. And then I'm checking Amazon for crossbows and all that stuff. <laughs> right. So what I would do is a very fake it till you make it thing where I would sit down and we're comics. So you have imaginations and you've had a million play conversations in your head or in your shower with people. And then that's how, what, you know, bits turn into, I would sit down and pretend I was a guy writing a spy thriller. I was a character who writing a spy. I literally separated myself hmm. from myself by one, by one thing. Hmm. And I just sat down and go, what would a spy writer do? And he sit down and he's like, so it was a dark Sunday. And I heard a knock at the door and it, I didn't get too in my head of like, well, this isn't how John Heffern talks or whatever. Oh, so I did that. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of got over that hurdle of just getting out of my own way, you know? And then there's a lot of fat and a lot of horribleness. And then from there I had to, you know, chopped it down and then, and got an editor, you know, to, to do all some of the heavy lifting. That's so interesting to hear. You don't, really you're not pinned to paper and you don't have a set list because it seems like your material is very specific and very crafted, like word to word, syllable to syllable. Yeah. I wish, um, uh, you, you know, maybe got? I'll go in my drunk drawer. Yeah. Uh, go maybe on. I'll go in my drunk drawer and go. So I don't go. The only time I've ever had to make a set list is anytime you do, uh, like a TV show. Right. Anytime uh -huh. you do like a tonight show or at the time, I mean, I have comedy central specials from 1990, like those half hour things that they did. You'd have to write everything out. And those were the hardest shows I've ever, I've ever did hmm. because I've always mind mapped it. And I'm, hopefully I'll be able to show you this. I've already. Um, uh, OK, so I always mind map things. So I never. I never had a set list joke one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, because it, it, if you have that list and you're on stage and you see the light or things are going either worse or whatever, in your brain, you think I have to get to 10 for my set to be good. So, so you're not present the entire time because all you're thinking is I'm on two. I got three minutes left. I got to get from two to nine in two minutes and then do my 10 as my closer. Well, I never gave myself a end date. I never gave myself a closer. So, mm -hmm. so I was never, I was never in a rush to get anywhere. Gotcha. I mean, like, so I knew, I knew what I would start with. Um, 
you know, because I've gone on stage without that that beat, and that's some. I think that's where you get in the most trouble. Um, you know, if you're kind of clueless right when you, you know, I me mean, get on stage. But I never just, I never had a closer. And then I would just, if if I saw the time was up or I got the light and I got a laugh, I would just say goodbye. So the, uh, audience doesn't. Yeah, I literally, if you just go, thank you, I'm so and so. After any lap and put your hand up, the audience claps or whatever. They have no meter. They they don't get shocked at an electrical shock thing <laughs> if you didn't do your closing bit. Right. Now, all of that's in your head. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Just say your name and say thank you <laughs> and leave. Nobody make it a hundred. And then in your brain, you're like, I never got to the drive to McDonald's bit. Yeah. Nobody knows but you. Do it next time. Exactly. So when you're pre-show, a lot of comics are doing a set list. What are what are you doing to like with your pre-show ritual? I have, and then I'll show you my mind map. Oh yeah, let's get into the mind map of, for a of, second. Of, of right? No, yeah. no, but but my so hold on, go on. You can go into the mind map real quick. I'll pull it up full screen too, so people can see. Well, let me, I'm even trying to see what. Uh, so what I do? Okay, I'll go back to that. So what okay. I do is I always have with with, <laughs> with my stand up and all my shows. I've always had themes. So it's easy for me to construct an hour. So I used to years ago have a bit about me and my family are going on vacation and we're pulling out of the driveway and there's all that stuff. And then for an hour, I would keep going back to, so we're in the car and we go and then we stop at this place. And then all these weird asides and then we're blah, 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 blah. And then the last bit was, and then we pulled in and it just, locked everything together through the whole so it's easy for me to bounce around and i've kind of only had three jokes my entire life since i was doing comedy <laughs> i literally i have i have i'm getting older hmm. uh remember when or reminiscing and relationship okay those are the three those are the kind of the three things that i've kind of, with a you know sprinkle i always call it just like literally seasoning right so those are the random bits and then i i would have hours of material on on both on on all those three things that i said and just with my watch every 15 minutes i i would switch it up so and then some shows i would almost start with relationship stuff and i would do relationship for 15 minutes and then i look at my thing so uh, I'm, I'm 27 i'm getting older i'm almost 30 and then all this stuff that comes with that and then hey, remember this toy and then I would just use my clock just out of, you know, even if I'm crushing it with relationship stuff, I'd be like, it's time to move on. And I would just use that. So every show was different because I never started with joke one and then it would joke 10. I would just play the chords, you know, differently. So it felt more organic, I think. Yeah, I've heard Chris Rock say the same thing where he really only talks about three things and he breaks his show up into thirds. That's it. I mean, yeah. it, it can be that it, it, for me, I'm just inherently a little bit lazier writer. I, I can't be all over the place. Just then my brain, I have to have everything connecting. Mm -hmm. I have to have a reason why I just brought this up. And, you know, I, I'm just not, I just hate going. So what, what do you guys want to talk about? Like, I'm not that there's a reason there's a flow that, that happens. And I even sometimes do shady shit where in the beginning of the show, um, I'll go, just like somebody giving a speech, I'll go, hey, I got, I got three things I'm excited I'm going to tell you guys about. One, I'm going to talk about uh, my mom, blah, blah, blah. Two, ever have this happen in a relationship? 
And then I would just, then I would just start talking. Right. And so I would do my whole show. And then at the end of the show, like maybe about five, 10 minutes before I got off stage, I would look at the crowd and go, did I tell you guys the third thing? And everybody would go, no, like that whole time they were waiting for me to say what number three was, but I only, cause I purposely left out three and that's called an open loop, which I'm a crazy fan of okay. where you tell somebody you're going to give them something and then you don't. And then at the end you give it to them and then they feel, Oh, I feel complete. That's exactly what we wanted. Interesting. Yeah. So it's just a fun, it's just a fun thing to do during, yeah, or at least for me during the show. Yeah, because yeah. you have degrees in communication and psychology, so it sounds like you kind of draw that education into the craft of comedy. I think it makes a big difference. Again, I will only speak for me. For me, it makes stuff fun for me when I overthink stuff and add all this theory, right? You're going to have purists that go, no way, man, it's so comedy, bro. You just get up there. You got to step out of your comfort zone. All right, man. Uh, I do certain things just to see if they work. For me, or if I run, I can run, you know, joke differently or even not run it into the ground. I wouldn't purposely bomb, but you kind of mess with the chords a little. And sometimes the jokes get bigger laughs than they ever have. And sometimes they die a horrible death, even though you're saying the same words, you know. So it's kind of like a horrible example. Like, Like if you're looking at a painting at a museum or something, the lighting on that painting makes all the difference. Like you can look at this painting and go, that's awesome. And then just turn off the little lights or the things have shining on it. And you're like, whoa, that's just kind of a move. Mm-hmm. But it was the lighting that made it. So I think doing that, I have a bunch of techniques I do when I'm actually performing that I think adds to it. Or it doesn't, to be honest with you. Or it does nothing. Um, it, but for me, if I think it's working, then I guess it is. Yeah, you'll do things like have a spot on stage to try an old joke versus a new joke, and you'll do anchoring where you're like connecting words with movements, right? You like get into the grit of this. Well, yeah, but every comic does it, though. Uh Um, They just don't know that they're doing it. Um, And then there's a fine line of doing it on purpose because now you're just uh, like it's a small word animatronic. You know, it's it's, again, it's like, Kung Fu, you're like using it when, that was a horrible example, but using when you want. And, you know, Ron, I can name 8 billion comics that have a thing. Everybody does. When the punchline is given, they do something. And it's the same thing after every punchline, right? So you by the third time, the audience know, like subconsciously knows, oh, that's where we're supposed to laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, just like that horrible, you know, Three and a half men, where after every joke, you go, man, you're kind of doing the same thing. Where every time you get a laugh, you move the mic stand down, or you take a drink, or if you're smoke, you, you blow out, or you shift, or you do it. You're doing, if you do that every time that they laugh, you know, you can't have it be something like every time you get a laugh, you know, you, you, you go like that. Right, but right. There's, there, there's subtle things that, that you can do that you don't even know you're doing. What are some of the techniques you've developed over 30 years? Of uh, doing that type of stuff? Yeah, like really, um, you had started to mention it before about like you have certain techniques you'll do on stage. I do, um, I don't know, boy, it seems like so long since we've been on stage, right? Yeah. Uh, 
I'll do a thing where, you know, you ever follow somebody who's just not your energy or mm -hmm. they crush or they eat it in front of you. A lot of people, I'll ride that wave um, regardless of what they did. So if the act in front of me was pretty high energy, really likable, walked around a lot on stage, I'll get on stage and I will mimic, not mimic or imitate, but I'll do that same energy for couple seconds and then I'll bring it back to me if it's not you know if the person's kind of talks slow I talk pretty fast if the person is just more just just mellow and just talks like this I'll get on stage and be like hey guys thanks for coming out but then then as I start talking I'll start ramping it up back ah. to me just because I think pe people need that that moment or if somebody was standing a certain way on stage or standing in a certain spot or holding the mic like this and holding the top of the mic stand. It was just doing this. It was like, no, you suck. You suck. Where am I, you know, just doing something. I'll, I'll take the mic and I'll make sure that I don't stand this way for the first until that space is mine. Uh huh. Cause people, cause people are used to, right. Are used to seeing that if you were just on stage, I, I don't even know. Um, if you were just going, hey, all women should just be pregnant. All women should be pregnant and only make sandwiches. And right, ladies, uh, what? Right, I'm just thinking really horrible things to of say. Course, right? Yeah. Then I then I get on stage, right? And, and start, right, you're you're still thinking all the that I just said when I gave words to that. So as, as a comic, I won't do this thing that I did in front of me if I. Ah, we lost John. Oh, it looks like we're getting motion again. Okay, I know you're up in your farmhouse. You I don't know if you're off the grid. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. No, I'm the farmhouse, and I don't have real internet either here. Yeah, because you're a doomsday prepper, right? Like you're really about the life. <laughs> well, no, I, just, I bought an uh, old, old farm that doesn't have real cable internet and it's crazy windy out, but we'll be okay. If I disappear, I will stand and not take up bandwidth and we'll be reconnected. Um, so, yeah, so, so that's one technique I do. Uh -huh. uh, the, the other stuff, I, I anchor the stage differently. I, there's parts of the stage that I use for different reasons. Again, this is me just trying not to be bored and giving me things to do, mm -hmm. um, you know, on stage. I used to run around like a maniac and just walk back and forth and just, just constantly like I'm trying not to get hit with anything. And then I just got older and that's just too much work, um, you know, and it's pointless movement. So now I, I have different places on the stage. I do different things. Um, oh. Again, more for me than the audience, I think. But that's what you mean by anchoring is like to the right on the right side of the stage. I do like this type of material or this type of act out. And then the middle I do this and then the left I do something else. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So if I have I have the, the part in front of the, the uh, mic that I throw my heaters are my like material that I know works. Mm -hmm. Then if I want to try newer stuff, I'll, I'll kind of maybe move to a different section, like to the stool and do a lean thing. And then I, that's where I try my newer stuff. And if that doesn't go well, I'll physically take myself out of that spot and go back into the heater spot. Or if I'm talking to somebody in the crowd, I'll walk over to the table. I got a space 
kind of just set up for crowd talk. So then when I want that to to end, I go back. And it's again, it's a way for the audience to just know this was a moment. Now we're here. Now we're here. And you can, you know, you're subconsciously telling them um, that stuff's over. Aha. Okay. So I think this, uh, this can tie into our first question here from trainer Steve, because it's about your skill as a comedian. He asks, when did John first notice his comedic skill level jump? When did he see his largest spurts and growth? And to what does he attribute those jumps? Um, when did growth? <sighs> I don't know when the, when my, I, I think it was like weird moments. Like when I would just started, you know, back in my day, I'm going to sound super old here. <laughs> you emceed. And then, and then when you got really good as an MC, you were a feature. And then when you're really good as a feature, you you got to be a headliner. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, but MCing was a skill like MCing was, I mean, it was a skill kind of a lot of people don't have now, like their host, but all they're thinking is my podcast is pretty good. I don't know why I'm not featuring. Like they don't know how to host. Like do not believe how many times I'm at clubs and you go, can you just, can you just plug this for me? Or can you just, and they just, they're horrible at announcements and they're saying, and you say something they're like, well, I don't normally MC. Okay. But you took the job, so don't be a shitty MC. Boom. Like it's a whole. So I, somewhere during that, when I was that young, like there was a part where I was like, I'm a really good MC. This is a thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn my my minute of welcome to the club. The waitresses are gonna. I had a whole used carsman's, you know, uh, thing I would do in the first minute on stage, and then I would do a little break, take the mic out. Now I'm not MC guy. Now I'm comic guy. And I would do the thing and then I put and bring up the feature. So there are parts there where I, I started knowing I'm, I'm stronger than a lot of these features that I'm working with, you know, even when I was a young guy. Mm-hmm. At, and then um, then I had a college growth spurt, you know, because I was doing maybe 200 colleges a year. This is way back wow. in, in NACA, you know, era because I was 20 something, you know, I was. Hey, what's with roommates and ramen noodles and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, so there was that. And then, um, you know, I, I think maybe after my first special, I kind of felt, oh, I have this dialed in, you know, and weird with my career. I felt like I have some years, you know, that I'm like, man, everything is as tight as this is this is bulletproof. I can walk up in front of like this is bulletproof. And then you have other years or when you rearrange stuff or you do an album and you're you're just like, yeah, this is this is mediocre. I'm it's not, you know, I'm hitting the rim a lot. And mm. you know, that's still something I, I don't think you ever can kind of figure out. Yeah, that was even like uh when we had we did one of these with Nate Bargatze, and he's like, at the end of every special, he immediately reverts back to I have no material I'll never be able to write another joke again what have I done like there's this self-doubt I feel like maybe a lot of comics have of like how could I ever do that again oh yeah and especially right now um I put out two two new albums I put out an album in November um or December I forgot and then even with this whole thing going on uh, I'm going through one of those phases where I'm like, I don't know what material I'm going to talk about once we start performing again. Because in my head already, it's like, there's going to be t- people in front of me talking about Tiger King 
and no toilet <laughs> paper. And, do you know what I mean? Like exactly because every comic, right? So I could do my experiences in stories would be different than yours, just because we're different people. Mm-hmm. But now you have everybody going through the same exact thing, mm-hmm. right? So it's so you're gonna have a lot of here's some Zoom material. That that's going to be there. So that's already in my head going, I'm not even going to waste my time talking about that because a year from now on Netflix, there's going to be seven specials. And I can tell you the set list of those seven specials. You know, yeah. there's going to be Zoom, Tiger King. I got pregnant during the thing. Mm-hmm. What you guys doing, Court? Like they, there's all the, it's, it's going to happen. Look, look, you know, look how many videos there are of comics making food right now. It's, it's going to be a thing. So I kind of get like locked in my head a little where I'm like, yeah, I don't think I have anything, anything to talk about forever. Yeah, but then it always comes back. Exactly. Look at Nate. Nate, Nate says that after every, every, every special then cranks out another hilarious one. So yeah, that's just the insecure comic in all of us. Yeah. So the next one is from Patrick Fowler. He says, without a set list, do you write jokes down? Or do you record them or do you just keep them all in your brain? I don't write them down. I, I do do my mind map thing is when I first, mm-hmm. you know, so um, uh, hold on, I'm trying to show you. Okay. So I like a hundred times, uh, a long time ago, I have a bit that's out called when I get in Ubers, I lie to the Uber driver. Right. And then I would just write one, two, what's the lie? I, I'm in Phoenix and we paint lighthouses, okay. right? And then I start asking myself a, a lot of questions about whatever bit that I wrote down, right? So why, why would you lie to an Uber driver? What are the greatest lies you ever told? Did, it, did anyone ever think that you actually did that job? What would it be like to have that job? Uh, do I know anybody who has that job? So now from one question, I have a list. Like I have a list of things that I can fill in about that bit. Then from there, you've kind of built a whole story and you could go now that I lied to Uber driver bit might have five different entry points or hmm. five different subcategories. So I'm so from thinking about that, I might be like, so one time I told the guy I was a chocolatier and then that spins off to wonder what, how, well, what's the training like to be a chocolatier? And da, 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 like you have all these parallel developments just from that one idea. So that's a new way that I kind of started writing. Like I used to write on stage to answer his point. I used to write on stage and then I'd record every show and then I would pay to have that show. It's like a few bucks just transcribed. Oh, I take my whoa. hour every okay. Saturday. I take Saturday for a show, right? Just record it. And then there's a bunch of cert, like, you know, the service I've used for 10 years, but there's a million more. Um, you send it off to them and three days later you get it all printed out and then you read your act. So if you did anything new, you can kind of like highlight it or whatever, where you go, okay, this is, you know, this is the new bit. And then from there you can kind of go, my dog's going to bark for the rest of this interview, by the way. But that's, <laughs> no that's how, that's how I wrote it down though. Um, yeah. Did I answer that? Yeah. I don't yeah. know if I answered that question. So I, I used to write on stage and then I would then I would transcribe it. And only recently did I start doing that mind mapping thing um, because I was on a plane and I saw this guy sketching. He had he would like sketch an eagle 
and then he would turn the like I'm talking he would sketch for like a minute or if if that he would sketch for like a minute and then he turned the page and then it was like a Statue of Liberty and then he turned the, the page and then it was waves and then he'd flip it back to the eagle and just the whole flight he was he was burning through these like four or five pictures whatever it was and I asked him I go you don't you don't spend any time on, on a picture. Like, what's your thought process? And he says, if he stares at a picture too long, his brain starts re-looking at shit he drew and went, that sucks. Or he doesn't know whether he should make the wings featherier or longer. So the second his brain starts questioning what he's doing, he, he blazes over to the next picture. Oh. And then he, then he deals with that picture. And he just keeps going back. So I went and got a book, bought a notebook, and just went to a coffee shop. And literally, I lied to Uber drivers. Things I used to stress out about a kid as a kid. Uh, what what room in my house do I hate the most? And I would, and then I would go back. Why would I lie to an Uber driver? I used to stress about reading out loud as a kid. And then before I knew it, I like maybe a couple songs and things. I looked. I'm like, there's three premises here mm-hmm. that all have a thing. And maybe it took me, I think I gave myself almost like a speed round. Like I did, I, you know, I remember even time. I don't remember like three, like one song, maybe two songs where I just started, you know, going as fast as I could. And then you were just done. Um, so that's like the new way. It's weird. I, I've been doing comedy, like I said, for, you know, since 87. And it's weird that you have a new, you know, it's kind of exciting that you can have suddenly a new way of doing things. Yeah. Um, so you just yeah. have an I, you have an idea, and then asking questions about that idea almost unearths the actual punchlines behind it, like the why. Yeah. And, do, like, do, do you uh-huh. have an idea that? Yeah. Like, do you have an idea that that you're working on? Um, I think the most recent one has been. First thing that pops your head. It's my, my wife always has her phone on like 1% and it kills me. Like, okay. It, so, okay. Okay. So, so what, but so what you would do is you would write, my wife has phone on 1% and then you would bubble it. Okay. And now we're going to ask a billion questions. Why does she keep, why does she run it to the, to the, to the very end? What else in her life does she let almost go to the very end? But, you know, maybe our car should say on the gas 1%. Oh. Maybe instead of gallons, it should say how many percent from, from right? So do you, what, what, when do you plug yours in? Uh, 90%. So can a 90%er be a thing? If you were on an island, would she wait to, like, so suddenly we have this whole story about you and your wife. And all it really is is she only has 1% on her phone. But now we've just taken it. Now, for some reason, you go back to my long ramblingness. Now I got you and your wife in car getting gas off of just that her cell phone chunk. Right. And right. then you guys are now where are you guys driving to. You just know she doesn't you don't you don't have gas. Where were you going? We were going to a. Why were you going to a she wanted to throw axes. What date night ideas do you do now? Now we went from your percentage of your phone to an ax throwing date to you guys running out of gas to you guys arguing and you going, ah, I only have 1% left of this in this argument. I think I'm done. Like, so now we've just told a whole story that's, you know, 
five minutes, 10 minutes long by the time you're done and you have all these in and outs and then you don't need a set list because you know you're going to do your wife's cell phone bit that's going to have all these sides and you know all part of the story. Oh my gosh, dude. (laughs) I've done over 200 interviews with comedians and that may be the best joke breakdown we've been able to capture on here. That was amazing. Wow. Good. I couldn't repeat it because I don't know what I just said. That, but that's uh, creativity, right? You do it in a burst <laughs> and you're just like, I don't know what happened, but it's there now. That was great. I thought that was your mic drop. <laughs> I well, thought that I was, was like, the mic I'm drop. Out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you need to make it. Your, your iPod, the iPod, you need to make it because that you don't hang up the phone. Every once in a while, it starts to fall and your ear itches. That shouldn't be the, the you know, <laughs> trapdoor button right there. Shouldn't be right there. Yeah, I was wondering. I thought I figured that was just you like, all right, and I'm out. Sexual chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> Dollar Ben, and I'm out. That's it. I just, I, I just I saved everyone seven weeks of comedy school. Dude, Bam. like, that was gold right there, man. Wow. So uh, let's let's do two uh, listener que- let's do two um, these viewer questions and then we'll get you out of here and back to your quarantine. It's um yeah, and this was something I wanted to get into you with was uh, the corporate world because you're and this may have been a jump from did last comic standing start to get you momentum in the corporate world? Is that when it, it made you? Yeah, people knew who I was. Yeah, because our last comic, Sandy, was, you know, we were a pretty popular season. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and corporate people want people who are on TV. So it de- it definitely helped. Yeah, and yeah. That, that corporate money is real. And you've done gigs for, like, the FBI. And, it's like, you're, you're in the corporate world. So Trent Babb asks, what sort of material? Yeah, but the, uh-huh. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to – I didn't interrupt. I w- Trent but, asked what? Oh, well, he was asking what sort of material are corporate gigs looking for? I've always done me. I've not – well, if you know anything about my stand-up, I'm pretty – and I'm not slamming myself, but I'm very vanilla in the sense of I don't push buttons. I've never, for, I've never thought that you know my opinion or my nasally voice is going to change your political – thought or I, you know, I've never, I've always looked at my comedy as a distraction. Sometimes people have really crappy lives and they need a moment where it just, uh, right. Somebody talking about Plato as a kid, right. I know it's not edgy. And if you do late night sets, you're like, Dish. okay. Some people don't need to hear about, you know, how many times you masturbate on your porn. Some people don't care, mm-hmm. right. They would rather just have so I've always considered myself very Matchbox 20 of comedy. Okay. Like nobody hates it. Nobody, nobody hates it. Nobody loves it. But you'll vacuum to it, right? <laughs> so my uh, corporate things have always been the same. Is uh, I've always talked about like relationships or, or, you know, at the time when I was married, I had more marriage material. But it was never in a, you know, my, my wife or girl, you know, was never – they're horrible for doing this. I never made them sound dumb. I made it very, like, very mutual. Or, you know, I even changed it up to your partner instead of husband, wife, girlfriend. Um, okay. So with corporate events, the deal is not, especially now, is you just, you have to be super um, 
super vanilla, not stop on any toes. That's how it was two months ago. But you know what? The whole world just blew up. So I don't even know, one, is if there's even corporate things going to be a thing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now I know a lot of comics are doing like Zoom meetings for, for, for corporate events, which just changed it all up. Um, but back to what we were talking earlier, if you're a local guy, and when this all comes around, let's not talk like nothing's ever going to be the same. It's going to be a little weird and there might be a little thing. It's going back to be, being a really good host. Because at the end of the day, most corporate events need a host more than they need a comedian. And if you can do both, if you're really good at, you know, bringing up the, the vice president of marketing and you just know how to move things along and throw in a couple little bits before you bring up, you're going to get 100 times more work than, than expecting to go out and do a half hour while people are eating dessert, you know. If you market yourself as uh, I'm, I can host your dinner event and make it entertaining and move it along, you'll make more money. Like there'll be more jobs for you yeah. if that's even a thing or just get really good at Zoom meetings and you might even crush it even more. I don't know. The, everything I'm telling you applied two months ago. Yeah, most of my corporate <laughs> yeah. work has come from uh, like either word of mouth or like a gig salad service or something like that. What have you found to be the best way to book corporate work? I, you know, I have great agents and manage like oh, and stuff like right. that. So for yeah. me, it's, you know, my hustle. Yeah, my hustle has, you know, I haven't had to really in building relationships with, you know, that. So that I can't speak to, or, you know. For me, it's just I get a phone call and they're like, "Hey, do do you want to go off and do this?" And I go, "Yeah." So. So was that was that an agent who booked the FBI for you? Is that how that goes down? Yeah, my agents that you t- yeah, like I get oh you know, and what where most of my corporate bookings come from is the relationship between the people putting on the event, not necessarily the corporation. Because mm-hmm. what happens is corporation A, again, this is prior to two months ago, and who knows what's happening, but they they'll say we're doing an event. It's at this resort. We need dinner, uh, dancing breakout sessions and an entertainer then that person who they hired the event person goes okay i've worked with this comic before i've worked with nate bagat and then they show usually the clients a couple comics and they pick so there's been a couple corporate people who i've just never been an ass like in my green my rider you know like stuff you need before show mine i think doesn't have anything so I'm less of a pain because I always figure I'm making enough money where if I want beef jerky or five hour energy, I'll go to 7-Eleven after the show by mm-hmm. myself and not make this person who's putting on this huge multi-million dollar event have to worry about me. And I've gotten rebooked just because I'm not a pain in the ass. I literally s- sit on the speaker box and then somebody goes, OK, you're, you're going on stage. I go, thank you. Walk out there and I do it. And then I go, goodbye, everybody. And then I, I leave. Is it? It's been my play. Be a good co-worker. Yeah, that goes a long yep. way in this game. So this can go into our, yep. our final here with Mark Mitchell, who asks, I started out at 62. In your experience, do 20 to 40-year-olds laugh at older people? 20 to 40? Well, you know, I'm officially kind of one of those older people, um, you know, in crowds. But it's kind of... Yes, if you don't crap on them. I see a lot of like, I, I'm so anti, 
problem with you millennials, you sound like an old crotchety guy and they're going to okay boomer you. There's a way you can talk to younger people. Hmm. Um, if that's what you want to do, there's a way you can do it and not be an ass. I can name, a, you know, you know how many comics are going to be in their mid 50s, if not even 60s? Every famous guy, you know, comic you kind of know right now is all entering that silver era. Like every top guy you can think of is probably over 50. So if you're 60 something, you're not that far off the, you know, if you talk about, I had to go get my, uh, you know, to the proctologist, uh, you know, if you talk about old person stuff, then, then you're going to lose that 20 or 30 year old. But, you know, George Carlin was however old he was younger. People liked him. As long as you don't get too specific and be like, don't you hate it at the sock hop when you're playing your records and the malt shaker breaks? Then the 20-year-olds aren't going to know what you're talking about. But right now with everything going on, if you're 62 or 22, both of you are going through the same exact thing right now. So there's, there's your common denominator. And everybody's going to have that. So it's a, it's kind of a night, not, not, it's not nice. Nothing that's going on is nice, but it is a reset where now the whole world has one thing that everybody went through. There's not a person on earth. You can't do a joke about putting, having to wear a mask. You got to, wherever you go in the world, people were like, yeah, we had to do that. Yeah. So it's almost like you're saying sharing your point of view, regardless on what it is, will get you further and connect with more audiences than if you're trying to be super specific. Like, you know, the sock hop and the record player. It's more like giving your point of view on something and then the audience will be attracted to but that. If, but if you... Yeah, but if you want to do... You almost have to ask yourself, like, what do you want to... Like, I, it's hmm. so niche now. Right, That yeah. You know, the gentleman who asked you that question, if, if, if he's 62, so he's 12 years... Right? He's from... Uh, his musical reference would even be different than mine because he's 12 years. So maybe you don't want to talk to 20 year olds, right? Like there's something to be said. You don't, you could be get older as a comic and not have to do shots in front of everybody and go, I smoke weed. You guys smoke weed. I'm cool too. Right. Because like you cannot, you know, you can get older and not do that. The 20 year olds might not think you're funny, but do you, do you care if they do? Are you trying to jump your TikTok numbers? Right. Or do you write your set? There's a huge industry for, for, you know, retired people all over that have these theaters that are, you know, there's retirement communities of thousands of people. Well, again, prior to three weeks ago, three months ago, (laughs) but would show up so that there's a, there's a huge lane for, you know, talking about, you know, going to see Rut or whatever yeah. um, you related to as a teenager. There's still a lot of people that age that are your age that will get that material. Speak to them. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, don't, yeah. Who cares about the 20 the something? You're 40 years younger than you, unless that's your thing. Exactly. But there's also, you can make a case that you don't need to. Boom. Awesome. Well, dude, John Heffron, this has been gold. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I hope. Perfect. I hope you had a good quarantine and staying safe. In closing, with your 30 years of experience and the book, The Holding Deal, which we will link, the link, his Amazon link, in the show notes as well as the description of this YouTube page. 
But in the 30 years you've been doing comedy, do you have any favorite comedy advice or anything you can leave us with to keep us young comics out there producing the best comedy we can? Young kind. I felt like I, you know, my thing, I don't know if I'm, what advice? I have things that just bug me that, um, that I don't even know, again, with everything going on, I don't even know if it's a thing anymore. <laughs> okay. Um, no, like, like uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. I was, I had so much advice, but like specifically now, I'm just telling myself just to shut up because who am I to, you know? It's almost like somebody from the '80s, you know, in the '80s band telling, uh, you know, a new, a new band how you play the synthesizer. It's, mm. you know, you, everyone will figure it out. And how about this? Don't don't have your your roommate come in the green room and take the headliner's charger cord off of his phone and plug it in. How about that as advice? It's a good start. Okay. Is that a thing? That is a thing, yeah. All right, and um, Mark saying thank you, Trent saying thank you very much, big fan. So you made a big, big impact on us today for sure. So thank right. you for taking time out of your day, John. And uh, I will be sure to push that link to your book. Go get his book. This guy is a comedy guru who is now an author, two-time author. So thank you, John, for all your wisdom today, buddy. Hot breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.